It's Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is the manager of Pirate's Espionation blog, Buck's Dugout, and actual real-life music scholar, Charlie Wilmoth. And what follows, we catch up with Charlie uh, with regard to his academic pursuits since the last time he appeared on Fangraphs Audio, before turning our attention to the team which he covers, Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, where we discuss a number of issues, including, but not limited to, the status of several of the top prospects in that organization, including Garrett Cole, Jameson Tyone, Starling Marte, and Josh Bell. We look at some potentially intriguing spots in the Pirates' depth chart, uh, specifically left field and first base. Charlie helps us understand what the A.J. Burnett trade means for the Pittsburgh organization. And finally, we consider the effects of the new collective bargaining agreement on the Pittsburgh Pirates' draft strategy. The Pirates, of course, being one of the more aggressive spending teams in recent drafts. It's Charlie Wilmoth of Buck's Dugout. It's Fangraph's Audio, and it's right now. to figure out what's going on with that team and I you know you know I sometimes accidentally do is I find myself reading Vlad's articles I, I think it's the last couple of years he's done he does really good previews of the rule five draft I think oh yeah I mean any anything that has to do with like the minutia of baseball I mean, he's just all over it I mean just yeah I mean just doing crazy amounts of research on a level that I don't think anybody on the internet is really doing um, and the, the Rule 5 draft in particular is something, something big for him. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's like super helpful because, you know, I mean, I mean, a lot of times the stuff that one finds on the, you know, like the SB Nation team sites or other team affiliated sites, uh, for a person who's a fan of that team already, uh, it makes a lot of sense, you know, but for someone who doesn't necessarily have a team affiliation, um, it, you know, if you're looking for information specifically on that team, it can be very helpful, but very rarely do you find something like what Vlad provides so far as um, that goes in terms of like the general? Because I mean, he I guess he writes it, um, you know, technically like for the benefit of of Pirates readers. Be like, this is who is available in the Rule Five Draft, but it's very useful for someone like me who's curious about that sort of thing as well. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, the, I mean, obviously the team centric focus is is how it's supposed to be. I mean, I. You know, you know, from reading most people who who have to write about every team, they don't necessarily know as much about individual teams as somebody who only who only does only does one. But yeah, it is it is really nice to occasionally get some some perspective on everything else out there too. How do you, how do you know that guy? How do you know Vlad? How did he was he just part of the community? Yeah, yeah, he's just part of a community. Actually, um, actually, I knew who he was from uh, Baseball Primer way back in the day. Um, I yeah, I knew who he was, and I would see him every so often. I thought this guy is really smart, and then he, and then he started showing up on my site, which was just like, man, I have arrived because Vlad is here. This is awesome. <laughs> and, um, and he's a Pirates fan, then ostensibly. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've met him. I mean, in the last couple of years, we've we've hung out a bunch of times, and we go to games together and stuff like that. Yeah. And he lives yeah he lives in Pittsburgh. Now, uh, the last time we talked to you, I want to get to Pirate stuff. Um, momentarily but i want to i want to catch up with you uh, as well because um, you have you have one of the more interesting 
uh, sort of biographies of of uh, anyone that, that I know of, at least in the in the kind of uh, interneting baseball community. And I know the last time we discussed, you were working towards, I believe, a PhD in music composition. I think mm-hmm. at UCAL San Diego. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. And now, uh, what's where? Where do you stand as so far as that goes? Oh, I got it. And uh, now, uh, I mean, there's a really long winding road I took to get get there. But I'm I'm now teaching um, at Otterbein University near Columbus, and uh, you know, also writing about sports near Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I'm talking to you. You're in Ohio. That's right, yeah. Yeah, known as the San Diego of the Midwest. <laughs> right, right. Everybody everybody I talk to here is like, why did you move here? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so you live there, and you teach it. It's called Audubon University? Yeah, Audubon, yeah. It's a, a little liberal arts college on the outskirts of Columbus. And, w- and what do you do there? You teach people how to play musical instruments, or, or, or they already know how to do it, and uh, you attempt to make them better at it? Uh, something like that. I, I teach music theory and um, and uh, ear training and sight singing, and I also help run a contemporary music ensemble. Oh, okay. Oh, well, that's, that sounds great. It sounds like a like a, a nice arrangement. Yeah, it's, it's as first jobs go, it's it's really good. Um, I mean, I get to live in a city, uh, and the students are good. I mean, they're they're curious. It's it's you know they're there to study music. They're I mean, my students are all music majors, which is great. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I, as far as the first job is concerned, I, I thought I was going to have to just move to like Southwest Wyoming State or whatever, and you know, teach a bunch of community college students or something like that to start off, but, but that hasn't proven to be the case. You know, I well, my wife is an academia. She's we've moved to, to Madison since you and I last spoke and um Okay yeah. She's uh she studies uh, she's in the French PhD program here. But I do have some friends also just you know from uh from when I was in a writing program who have either gone into advanced degrees or, you know, have taught at some level and I do know, yeah, I mean it's uh very competitive, and um, one feels lucky to have an opportunity anywhere. I, I know I, I have a talented uh, poet friend. Her name's Heather Crystal. She's uh, she's quite good and um, has received some attention. And I think that like at some point she was um, uh, she felt very lucky to to have an interview at I believe um, like uh, South Dakota State or something like that. You know, or, right. or maybe North right. Dakota State even, and uh, uh, which is not to say that uh, you know I'm sure there are perfectly um, lovely things about all of the Dakotas, but it's not. She has no ties whatsoever to it, you know. And um, if you're not from there, it might be a bit hard getting used to. Yeah, I mean, I had kind of I, I, right. I, I had kind of uh, you know gotten used to the idea of. You know, I'm just going to move to someplace really funky and just get what I can out of it. Um, but, you know, I guess fortunately or maybe unfortunately, I don't know, it didn't really turn out that way. Um, but, yeah, it, it was rough. Um, you know, I, I finished all the work for, or most of the work for the Ph.D. at the end of 2008, um, just as the economy sort of really went in the tank. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it was like, well, I'm about to finish my my doctorate and, you know, does anybody want to hire a new music professor? And, you know, in these 
in in this economy and and so it was it was really rough and I spent you know a couple of years kind of bumbling around you know trying to find find appropriate things to do um and it it turned out through this very like circuitous path that I ended up getting this job at Audubon. All right, and and well, that, it sounds like you're doing well then. Uh, you know, I mean, life is insofar as life is difficult and frequently uh, full of horrors. Uh, you seem to <laughs> you seem to be doing pretty decently. Yeah, yeah, it all turned out pretty pretty well. Yeah. All right, um, I couldn't yeah I couldn't be happier. Now, um, let, let's let's talk about the baseball team that you cover uh, and are compensated for for doing so. Uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates. You write about you write for Bucks. I would mention that. Uh, um, they're probably not going to win. I will start here. They're probably not going to win the NL Central Division. Would, would you say that's a fair statement this year? I'm saying. Oh yeah, absolutely, definitely. Okay, you're fine with that. And and but 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 they also are. Uh, well, I guess true or false. Um, and feel free to develop it. They are a healthier organization. At this point now, than they have been for some time. Uh, absolutely true. I think that um, you can you can uh, you know quibble if you can quibble about if they're as healthy as they ought to be given given the way things were when um, you know Huntington took over in 2007. I'm not sure they are, but unquestionably they're much healthier than they have been at any point in the past decade or so. I would say. Right now, and this is purely by coincidence, but. Um Actually, just uh, uh, just yesterday, in terms of when we're recording this, recording on a Thursday afternoon, um, on Wednesday, both David Lorla and Mark Anderson, uh, newcomer Mark Anderson, uh, uh, posted back-to-back uh, pieces on uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and, and in particular, um, you know, their farm system. The first was uh, Lorla with Lorla was an interview with the, I guess, um, former. Director of Scouting, current Assistant GM Greg Smith. Is that is that his title? I forget what his title is now. I know him as the Director of Scouting, but I know they they moved a bunch of people around this off season. Okay, he's he's integral to their sort of development of young of prospects. We right, can, right, right. Agree on that. Uh, and then secondly, well, uh, no, not not to de- not to development actually, but to, to drafting. To drafting. Okay, right. And yeah. then and then and then secondly, uh, there was a. Uh, um, a pretty uh, thorough um, scouting piece by Mark Anderson on the sort of relative merits of um, Garrett Cole, uh, first overall pick in the most uh, pick in the most recent draft, and then um, and then um, uh, Jameson uh, Talion. Tyon? How do you say it? Tyon. Like I'm going. Tyon. I'm going to tie on this rope to this stick. Uh, no, you're you're going to own this tie. Tyon. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I will never say it differently now. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think you're you're allowed to to say it wrong, but I'm I'm probably not. Oh, that would be <laughs> that would be horrible. Imagine if you pronounced it incorrectly. How embarrassing that would be, Charlie Wilmoth. Yeah. That would be. That would be. Yeah. Right. It'd be yeah. the very picture of embarrassment. In fact, I would. Uh, it, it, lobby you're very. For, you're very kind. <laughs> I would lobby uh, for your dismissal uh, immediately. All right. 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 <laughs> you okay? So. Um. Bell, Tyone, Cole, are those the are those the three big guns? And I mean, what can you tell us about them that maybe uh, Fangraphs readers might not already know? Um, I did, that article by uh, Laura did did cover a lot of things really well. 
Um, the, the other the other guy who would be up there with them, I mean, it would be uh, Cole and Tyon would be uh, one and two in most people's books, I would say. And then um, probably Starling Marte, who's a outfielder at Double A last year, would be would be number three, and then and then Bill number four. I mean, that, that's that's the way most people put it. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think you know a, a lot remains to be seen about Cole. I mean, he has his his stuff is ridiculous. Um, obviously, but you know it's it's you know the the, the idea of you know I, I'm less of a proponent of of paying somebody you know an eight million dollar uh, you know a college pitcher or any pitcher really like an eight million dollar bonus. Um, I realize he was widely regarded as, as the best talent in, in last year's draft, but it, it really does scare me. And until I see him um, you know pitch professionally a fair amount, um, I'm going to you know sort of be crossing my fingers and hoping that all works out, especially since he was supposed to have had mechanical um, issues coming out of college that needed to be um, addressed. Um, so there's, there's uh, him and then uh, Tyon pitched at, at West Virginia last year. Um, mostly did really well, but the Pirates really treated him with, with kid, kid gloves. He didn't pitch very many innings. So, uh, you know, next year, hopefully he'll, he'll um, be building up to more and they'll, They'll let him unleash his breaking ball a bit more. Um, and then uh, Marte is a, a really, really toolsy outfielder who's put up really good numbers, but uh, the, the knock against him is that he doesn't draw a lot of blocks. And the, the question is whether that's going to work in the majors against better pitchers and, and better defenses, and will he be able to, to run out as many hits as he has in the minors. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, those, those three. Those, those three. Now, Mar- Marte is interesting. You know, the projection systems, and, and in fact, uh, as we speak, the the um, Zips projections have just gone up uh, on Fangraphs. Uh, the Zips projections are pretty friendly to him. And then that combined with what I, I believe um, is um, already plus defense. Is that true? Yeah, his, his defense is supposed to be excellent. I mean, there's even been some, some rumblings among uh, Pirates fans about about uh, Andrew McCutcheon moving to a corner so that Starling Marte can play center, which is, which is never going to happen. Um, but but that's how good his defense is. It's it's good enough that you can begin to, to talk about it in that way. Yeah, so that's curious, right? Uh, so so you have Marte up. Now, Zips, Zips essentially projects him as a major league player already. You know, you as, a, as someone who follows the Pirates might think, uh, might it be of the opinion that, well, that may or may not be the case, but he's not as good as he could be, theoretically, especially sounds like what you're saying in terms of plate discipline. But, right, right. I mean, and he, he hasn't played at AAA yet, and the, and the Pirates have three credible starting outfielders right now, so there's really no reason, no reason to rush him there. Well, let's talk about those, th- those outfielders, and in particular uh, the left fielder, because uh, McCutcheon is an obvious choice uh, at center field. Uh, Jose uh, Tabata, Tabata, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jose Tabata was uh, given um, um, a contract extension. Pretty, um, I don't know. I think it bought out his Arbiers this past season. Is that right? And, and, a, and a bunch more other years as well. Okay, right. It was pretty um, lengthy, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was a really long and very favorable contract to the, the Pirates. His, his agent actually dropped him over it. Because he, because Tabata wanted it, and his agent was like, "You're ridiculous." Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. That's, that was that was my understanding of it. His his agent was like, "No, you cannot do this." Um, and he he took the contract anyway, and his agent said, "You know what? <laughs> that's enough of that." 
Really? So, so he's just dumb. Yeah. Well, I guess he wouldn't have really had to do anything for like another seven years anyway, right? <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I guess not. I guess I guess he, he can go without an agent for a while. And then, um, now, Leftfield is, um, I think Alex Presley is slated mm-hmm. to start. Mm-hmm. Um, again, from the projections I've seen, Presley actually is a, um, acquits himself pretty nicely. And he probably doesn't. Uh, um, he has decent speed, I think, although maybe it, um, it doesn't necessarily always add up to excellent excellent defense. Maybe in a quarter he's he's passable, but he's not a center fielder, I don't think. Uh, no, I think he, he can he can play there if you need him to. But but yeah, I think he's he's you know the Pirates have they're they're set in centers. There's no problem there. Um, but he should be a fine corner outfielder. And so how long how long is uh, Presley's uh, leash at this point because I know that Nate, oh crap, um, McClough or McCluth? McClough. McClough. I know McClough is there. Um, a, and another player that I care for quite a bit, um, Robbie Grossman, um, who had an excellent um, Arizona Fall League, prob- um, by some accounts the best Arizona Fall League, certainly relative to prospect status entering it. Um, but then, of course, uh, ended it by breaking his handmade bone. Um, he's also right. sort of in the mix, I assume. I, I mean, he he's played he's only played at high A, so I assume he needs to be a double A soon. And then you also have Marte. So what? How do you see this um, working internally? I mean, how 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 much room does Presley have? Who would fill in if 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 he failed? And then you know, where does Grossman fit in eventually in Marte? Um, well, I don't think we're going to see Grossman this year. I mean, the, the Pirates under Neil Huntington have been very cautious with moving their prospects. Um, and and uh, Grossman, as well as he did at Single A, is, is you know he's going to be a Double A this year. I don't I don't think he'll he'll be anywhere else. And I'd be I'd be even pretty surprised to see him get to the majors by the end of the season. Um, I mean, McLeod, they're not they're not going to treat McLeod as uh, I I would have. Serious problems with it if they were to start treating him as a starter at any point for any reason. Um, he's had, you know, I think two straight years where he's been just really bad. Um, and I, I wasn't a fan of, of them bringing him back even as a bench piece. Um, and so, I mean, really the only the only person I think who could really um, push Presley too much is is Stalin Marte. If they needed somebody to to fill in for a while and and he wasn't there. Um, then you know they might do something more where they play uh, Casey McKee more at first base and and have uh, Garrett Jones go to the outfield, or they could have somebody like Nick Evans, um, who could make the team with a good spring training, um, come in and play play a corner outfield spot for a while. But I, I think you know Presley has a fair amount of of he has a fair amount of leash, and um, and that's probably good. I mean he's he's had. Uh, two really good years in the minors, and um, you know it's time for the Pirates to see what they've got there. Now, when you look at the roster um, and you know sort of uh, the depth chart, you can kind of, you know, looking at those guys, you can kind of see an average, uh, um, uh, at least an average season from almost all the guys. Um, we can talk about Pedro Alvarez momentarily because maybe he's an interesting case, but at least he has upside. Mm-hmm. You know the, the the Pirates' first base situation though uh, is a little underwhelming, I guess. Garrett Jones 
um, has been decent, or has been good at points, has been decent at other times. But um, if I'm not mistaken, he has a pretty serious platoon split, and he really hasn't mm-hmm. done a lot recently. I'm curious, is that, a, is that a sore spot for Pirates fans? And, you know, does the organization have any plans for first base? I don't think they do, and I don't know if that's necessarily their fault. Um, they have, you know, by all appearances, really bent over backwards to get Derek Lee to come back, but Derek Lee just does not want to play in Pittsburgh. So, you know, given, you know, that, that Lee would not would not come back after they traded for him down the stretch last year, uh, and that the, the first base uh, market this offseason after the, you know, after, you know, Pujols and, and uh, Prince Fielder, who the Pirates would never be able to come anywhere near. Um, the the market was pretty thin there, and there just weren't really a lot of choices. I mean, Carlos Payne was out there, but there wasn't a whole lot else. So, you know, it, it, it was easier to complain about this back, you know, before the Pirates traded for AJ Burnett, because it just looked like uh, they had gotten rid of of you know a, a bunch of players from the previous years squad, um, Paul Mahalam and, and um, Ronnie Cedeno and Ryan Delmet, and, and then just basically replaced them and, and sort of, uh, you know, clapped their hands and, and you know, were, were ready for the season. Um, and we're leaving this gaping hole at first base, but there's there's not a whole lot they could they could really do about it beyond making some sort of creative trade for some sort of quad A player for, who's blocked someplace else or something like that. Um, so, I, I mean, they, they had some, some money... And instead of, of trying to find a first baseman, or, I mean, instead of using it on a first baseman, they used it on A.J. Burnett instead, and, and that was arguably just as big a hole or maybe even a bigger hole. Now, the rotation, again, um, uh, maybe not inspiring, um, but it does have a little bit more in the way of upside arms than you're probably used to seeing. It, it seems as though the Pirates have sort of reveled in a sort of uh, pitcher with decent control, maybe above average control, but uh, absolutely nothing in the way of stuff. I mean, probably on the roster right now or among the starters, uh, only Jeff Carson's really fits that description, but gone are Paul Mahome, uh, as you mentioned, and uh, Ross Ohlendorf, who's another sort mm-hmm. of uh, like that. Zach Dukes from the previous year. Oh, right, Zach Dukes. Old Zach Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of guys like that. A little bit more in the way of of upside now. I mean, Burnett obviously. It's it, it at this point it's hard to see AJ Burnett objectively, just because um, he's been you know viewed so, so completely through the eyes of the New York media. Um, right. Uh, and and actually, uh, in talking with Dave Cameron yesterday on the podcast, it's uh, sort of a strange note there, uh, sort of uh, that highlights a strange turn in AJ Burnett's career. Cameron said something to the effect of that, you know, at the very least, Burnett will provide innings, even if they're not necessarily exceptional innings. And that is uh, almost precisely an, an inverse description of A.J. Burnett. Before uh, he made it to the Yankees, he was known for having electric stuff um, but being frequently injured. Uh, I don't know if the two are related or not, but it's just, I guess it's a strange turn. But Eric Bedard uh, still fits that description. He is generally excellent, excellent on a per inning basis. Um, so, so the the rotation must be a little bit exciting to you. And of course, 
Charlie Morton um, playing the role of Roy Halliday, something like that? <laughs> uh, we, we wish. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it, you know, it probably, I'm sure there's maybe some Yankee fan out there who's going to be listening to this and, and thinking, oh, you know, oh, really, oh, A.J. Burnett added so much to your rotation. Um, but actually, yes, it, 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 his addition changes things a lot. Um, not only because he, like, like, uh, Dave said, I mean, he does provide innings, which the Pirates badly needed. Um, but because there's a, a, a great chance that he could pitch a whole lot better in PNC Park and facing NL Central batters instead of NL, or AL East batters. Um, the, the, you know, he's not going to give up nearly as many home runs, at least I don't think he will. And, um, he's not going to get, you know, beat up by the Red Sox and the, and the Jays and the Rays anymore. Um, so, I mean, I think that there's a, a pretty decent chance of, of him, you know, pitching 180 innings and they're, they're being a lot better than, than people, people think they will be. Of course, he's 35. I mean, you never really know what's going to happen to a player once he's 35. Um, but I, I think that's a, a great move. And, and not only is there some upside in it, but, you know, the, the situation before and, and what was really maddening to me and a lot of other Pirates fans was that, uh, the, the Pirates had, uh, Kevin Correa penciled in at, at the fifth slot in the rotation, um, who was just a disaster down the stretch last year. Um, they had, uh, they had Charlie Morton coming off, um, uh, off season, um, hip surgery. And they didn't really have any sort of backup plan for that except, except Brad Lincoln. Um, and so it, it just seemed like, you know, unless Brad Lincoln pitches 450 innings this year, this could be a real problem where we're starting to see, you know, it could be the first of May and we're having to start Jojo Reyes or, or whatever, something really bad. Um, and, and, you know, having Burnett, who has become sort of a workhouse, a, a workhorse, uh, having him in the rotation instead of Correa, I'm assuming it's Correa who's going to lose his spot eventually. Um, I mean, it, it really adds a whole new dimension and it, and it lets the Pirates get away with something like adding, adding Bedard, who, you know, has, has missed so much time over the past several years due to injury, you know, he pitches really well, but you never know exactly how much of him you're going to get. So, you know, it, it, it gives them considerable cushion with that addition, which is really a, a, a pretty inspired, but also a very risky addition. Now, uh, another player's name um, that I've come across or who I've come across is uh, Kyle McPherson's. Um, he doesn't necessarily, well, he certainly doesn't, I should say, have the upside that uh, a Garrett Cole does. Um, or you know a, a Jamison Tyone, mm-hmm. but uh, I think he throws about 93 miles per hour. He sits around there with uh, and has had uh, decent walk numbers. I mean, what, what's and and he appears to be on the 40 man, um, the 40 man roster. So I'm curious what his, what his role, what you project his role to be in this year and upcoming. Um, well, I mean he'll he'll probably be in the in, I mean he'll be in the minors this year. Um, but if he pitches anything uh, like he did last year, um, he's he's going to work his way into the rotation discussion um, pretty pretty quickly. Um, you know, there, you know, a lot of people are still sort of sleeping on him, um, and he's not regarded as as a high upside prospect. But it's worth pointing out that that um, the Pirates protected him not not this past winter, but the previous winter, even when it, it didn't really look like. His stats warranted that, um, so they really like his. I mean, they seem to really like his stuff a lot, and they were, you know, sort of 
uh, vindicated for that decision by how he pitched last year. I mean, he he, he did pitch really well, especially at, at single A. Now, um, and I want to I want to touch on this last thing, and then I'll I'll let you go and uh, um, help the uh, musicians of tomorrow um, <laughs> do what they need to do. But you, um, uh, it's it appears as though the last um, several articles at Bucks Dugout have concerned the draft pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this has to do with. Um, the new CBA that was agreed on this uh, this off season, and um, a provision of which, or a sort of a result of which, uh, will limit teams pretty considerably in the draft. Uh, um, as one who doesn't necessarily cover the Pirates but knows about their you know last couple draft strategies, they have paid um, among the most, if not uh, the most, money uh, um, to prospects over the last couple drafts, um, especially relative to suggested slot price. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, um, because I am certainly not intimate with the, the new workings of the CBA, especially this concept of draft pool. I'm curious, A, how you think the new CBA will affect the Pirates and what their strategy will be for, for, for dealing with it. And then secondly, if you could just talk about the draft pool and then specifically how how that applies to the pirates. Well, um, so as I'm sure you know, the the pirates spent something like 17 million dollars in the draft last year. Um, they spent five million dollars on Josh Bell, who was their second round pick. They also spent uh, about a million dollars on uh, Clay Holmes, who's a high school pitcher who I, I think was their ninth round pick, um, and just generally went nuts. And I, I, they've, they've never come out and said this, but I assume the reason why they did it was because they knew that the new collective bargaining agreement was going to prevent them from doing that uh, in, the, in the following year and also prevent other teams from responding to them doing that. Um, uh, so what what so expecting them to spend seventeen million dollars a year, I mean that, that, that's, that was a one-time thing, and uh, I, I don't think that was ever really going to continue. But before that, they were spending, you know, 10, 11, 12 million dollars a year, uh, the, the previous three years, which was still, uh, much more than most other teams were spending. And part of that was that the Pirates were picking earlier in the draft and you have to pay more on bonuses to these players. But part of it was also that they were taking some risks in, in the later rounds that they had never really taken before, before Neil Huntington came on in 2008. So, you know, this draft pool business where basically Major League Baseball is, is pretty severely limiting, um, the kinds of things you could do in the draft through all kinds, all, all kinds of arcane rules that I think we're all still sort of struggling to, to piece together. Um, that, that is something that the Pirates fans are very concerned about because, you know, the CBA didn't really do a whole lot to prevent the Yankees from spending, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on on contracts for major league players and obviously the pirates can't can't do that um but they but they can spend you know 10 or 12 million dollars a year on the draft if they're allowed to and now they're not allowed to so uh basically the the i talked to uh frank coonley the pirates president um in december and asked him what the draft pool would be uh and and what the draft pool is it refers to uh the, the first 10 rounds of the draft how much money you're allowed to spend in the first 10 rounds of the draft. So, so I, was, I was asking him. So it's, it's, sorry, it's, like, it's like a draft cap, essentially. Uh, yeah, with with some sort of arcane 
uh, exceptions and, and things. But yeah, um, it's it's it, it's a number that refers to the the how much money you're allowed to spend in the first ten rounds of the draft. And I asked him how much what will that number be for the Pirates in 2012, and what he said was about ten million dollars. So. You know, my response to that was, well, okay, that's actually a lot better than I thought it would be because, you know, if, if they can still spend $10 million, like, they can do pretty well because other teams are going to have, um, smaller draft pools or they're not going to want to spend their entire draft pool. So that should be fine. Uh, and then, uh, earlier this week, it turned out that Jim Callis reported that that number is actually $6.6 million, about $6.6 million. Um, which ranks the Pirates draft pool 16th out of the 30 teams. Um, and it, it just, you know, so I, I talked to Jim Callis and I talked to Coonley and, and they both basically both confirmed that, that that is in fact what the number will be. And, you know, that's, that's really frustrating. I mean, there, there's, there's no way, um, given the situation the Pirates franchise is in, that they should have a draft pool that is, you know, less than, than most of the other teams in, Major League Baseball, but um, that's how it's going to be. I mean, it, it's going to normalize a little bit uh, next year as as they reduce the number of compensation selections for free agents, uh, and as they institute this, they're going to have a lottery for basically for bad teams and small market teams that the Pirates can can probably get something out of. Um, but it 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 really hampers the Pirates a lot, and it, and you know both in terms of the the amount of money they're able to spend and in terms of of the advantage they ever in the draft relative to other teams, because you know the only the only way the Pirates can get a star player is is pretty much to get really lucky in a trade or to develop them themselves. So it's it's a big problem. I mean, it's a, it's a big problem for the, the Pirates as they try to to be competitive going forward. And can you can you just explain how it is, or if you know how it is, um, that the Pirates, a team that has been Miserable for ages and, and um, was decent-ish this past year, but but not great by any means. Uh, and is is typically working with one of the lower payrolls also in the majors. How did they end up 16th? Well, um, they are picking eighth in the draft, so you would you would think a reasonable situation uh, a reasonable system would rank them eighth, but. Uh, a lot of teams are getting the Pirates only are because Derek Lee hasn't signed with anybody. The Pirates are only going to get one compensation round selection, whereas uh, other teams are getting several. Um, so those teams, because of their extra, you know, that extra uh, million bucks or so, or or 1.2 million that a compensation round pick adds to the pool, those those teams are are leapfrogging the Pirates. So the way the pool works is um, now. Does this uh, do away then with hard slots for particular draft, um, um, pr- particular spots in the draft, and so that you can just use this pool over your first X number of picks, and you can distribute the funds however you want. I, I don't. I, I'm not. It's not exactly like a hard slot. I'm. I'm not. I'm not totally sure on on uh, the details of of exactly how you're you're supposed to be able to to go over slot to take a player um it's it's not exactly like hard slotting but it's 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 kind of close in a way because if for example you don't sign your fifth round pick my understanding is that the money that had been allotted by the draft pool for that fifth round pick you no longer have so i mean i guess i guess there would be i assume there will be ways to sort of lowball um players um 
you know, you pick a, a college senior in the fifth round and then, and then pay him some really small amount. Uh, and then you can use the surplus um, from that pick on some other pick. Um, but I, I, I don't really, I, I don't totally understand it yet. I'm not sure if anybody does. And, uh, you know, the, the funny thing about that sort of thing is that then when you've drafted the player, um, he could then, then say, no, why don't you pay me the whole amount of money? Because if you don't, you know, you, you, you won't have any of that money to use on other picks anyway. Um, so it could lead to some really strange negotiations, and it seems like what will happen is that it will lead to lots of handshakes, handshake agreements before the draft. Um, but, but yeah, I, I'm the first to admit that there's there's a lot I don't quite understand about this. I mean, I've looked at it a lot, but there's still a lot I don't quite understand about it, and it's a really complex process where it seems like they could have instituted a much sim- a much simpler process. Well, Charlie, as you as you likely know, um, the first step to wisdom is acknowledging that you know nothing. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it right there. Hey, listen, Charlie, it's been uh, it's been extraordinary talking to you. I don't know. I don't know why I said extraordinary. I mean, it's been great, but it, I don't, extraordinary is literally never use that word. Extraordinary? No, I don't. <laughs> it's, but it's been nice yeah. talking. It's been pleasant. I'm glad I did it as opposed to just you know sitting on my couch or whatever I usually do. Well, yeah. Thanks. It's been wondrous talking to you. Wondrous, good, good. That's yeah. That's what I, that's really what I wanted. I was just driving for that. Um, yeah, well, yeah. But thank you, uh, thank you for joining. And uh, stick around uh, for a little um, after talk in the green room. Uh, we we can talk about that. Okay. Um, but um, but for now, we'll bid you adieu. We'll say we'll say thank you uh, to to Charlie Wilmoth from Bucks Dugout. Um, I will say thank you from me, Carson Sestouli, and I will also announce that this has been another edition of Fangraphs Audio.